You're now listening to episode 111 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here, we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is taken from a recording that Kim Lisa Taylor of the syndication attorneys and I did where we discussed the tax treatment of carried interest and other fees that general partners of real estate syndicates and funds receive. Carried interest, also known as sweat equity, a promote or a profit interest, is the portion of a deal that a general partner or sponsor receives for putting together and managing a deal on behalf of their limited partners who invest passively. In other words, it's the GP's share of that 80-20, 70-30, or 60-40 split for running the deal. This recording was originally posted on the syndication attorney's website for replay, and that link can be found in the show notes below. With that being said, let's jump right into today's episode. Excellent. Okay, so let's just dive into the questions then. What is carried interest? Great. So carried interest, uh, sometimes called carry, uh, is a share of the profits uh, of an investment paid to the investor manager to the investment manager. In our case, most likely a general partner, as uh, many many people call it in this industry, in excess uh, of the amount the manager contributes to the partnership. Um, and this is very common in the real estate space. So uh, this is also known as a profits interest, and it's basically just compensation for ensuring that the limited partners achieve a return on their investments. Uh, and the carry, for example, would perhaps be, let's just say that, you know, there's a split for, for to make it simple, a split where the general general partnership or the managers, they get 20% of uh, the share of the investor LLC uh, for making the property, for putting the deal together and ma- managing it while the investors receive 80%. And that would just be an example. Sure. So back to our uh, picture that's on the screen, you'd have class A members owning 80% of the company and class B members uh, owning the carried interest. uh, And that would be the 20% uh, of the company. So another name for this would be promote, or sometimes it's the carve out that the manager entity earns. Uh, So carve out, promote, profits, interest, carried interest, in the tax world, they all pretty much mean the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so we've kind of covered that, that the the class B interest is where this carried interest typically occurred. Now, could you just have uh, members and a manager and still have the same structure? Sure. You don't have to have the class B members. We just like it because we like to give the class B members some different rights than what the, the manager has. And uh, we like to make that distinction. So um, just in case you guys hear something chewing in the background, I have a puppy <laughs> who might at some point join our call. Um, so uh, what does ordinary income tax mean and what triggers it? A great question. So ordinary income tax, ordinary income tax is, is, is simply uh, income that's taxed at the ordinary income rates of zero to 37%. Uh, this uh, ordinary income generally includes wages, business income, also sometimes called self-employment income, rental income, interest, and royalties, very common. 
very common income types that are taxed at ordinary income tax rates. And does that include, uh, so it does, it, the self-employment tax? Yeah, so uh, basically when you, uh, so when you own a business or you're self-employed, um, the first $137,000 of your income is taxed, uh, is taxed uh, at a rate of, uh, well, it has an additional tax rather called the self-employment tax, uh, which is 15.3%. So if you're earning fees from, so let's just talk about this. So the ordinary income tax the self, with the, with the self-employment tax would apply to certain things in a syndicate, but there's other things that might not apply to. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so, so when you're dealing with a syndication, if the general partner or the manager, uh, they receive, um, they receive acquisition fees, disposition fees, refinance fees, um, asset management fees, uh, this is all considered ordinary income and it's taxed at the ordinary income rates of zero to 37%. And in addition, um, as most, uh, in most structures, it's also going to be subject to the self-employment tax as well. So the self-employment tax would be in addition to the zero to 37% that somebody is already paying? Correct. Correct. Okay. All right. So manager's fees. So that would apply to all manager's fees. Um, the, uh, what about... Uh, cash flow distributions that are paid to the class A members, the investors. Yeah, so uh, cash flow, so it, it's, you're not necessarily taxed on the, the, the distributions necessarily, you're taxed on the rental income that's allocated to you. So, you know, to give it a quick example, you know, if there was $100,000, let's just say of rental income and the you know, class A members, the, the investors uh, were allocated uh, 80% of that, so $80,000, they're going to pay ordinary income tax rates on that $80,000. However, you know, that said, there's usually depreciation and different types of expenses that, that cause a loss. But if there were to be rental income, it's going to be taxed at the ordinary income tax rates. Okay. Um, and uh, what about uh, how are the Class A members taxed on distributions they receive from equity on sale of a property? Uh, capital gains. It's going to be uh, capital gains tax. So, so we've kind of just explored what ordinary income tax is. Let's explore what capital gains tax is. Absolutely. So capital gains tax is uh, the tax on the difference of the sales price of an asset of a capital asset, such as real estate, and its adjusted basis, which is pretty much, you know, long story short, it's sale, it's a uh, purchase price less than appreciation that was taken on that asset during the time you held it. Um, so uh, again, it's just, it's, it's the, it's a, it's a tax on the capital on the sales price, basically the tax on the gain from sale of capital asset. And uh, if you hold the asset for a year and a day, um, then you're go, uh, well, excuse me, longer than a year. So a year and a day or longer, you're going to be taxed at the cap, the long-term capital gains tax rate, which is ranges from zero, which is at there's three rates. There's zero, so I, I forgot the exact number. I think it's like $19,000. If you're making less than $19,000 a year, you're getting taxed 0% on your long-term capital gains. Uh, very rarely do we see that. But um, if you're making uh, between that rate, uh, that number and $434,000, give or take, if you're single, you're taxed at 15%. Uh, 
And um, if you're above that $434,000 rate, if you're single or $488,000, if you're married, you, the capital gains tax rate is 20% for you. So that's the long-term capital gains. Now, if you hold it, hold the capital asset for less than a year, uh, then you're going to be subject to the short-term. It's going to be considered a short-term capital gain. And short-term capital gains held less than a year are taxed at the ordinary income tax rates. Okay, so that's going to apply if someone's doing a like a single-family fix and flip fund, and they're turning properties in less than a year. Yeah, and something to watch out for, and not to get too deep into the weeds there. But when you're flipping properties or you're developing properties, uh, there there's certain criteria criteria that may classify you as a as a business and your and your uh, your your properties that you're flipping or developing are no longer considered capital assets in the eyes of the tax code, and it's considered inventory. And thus, when you sell that inventory, your profit or your you know what would otherwise be considered a gain is uh, taxed as ordinary income at the ordinary income tax rates and can be subject to the self-employment tax as well. Okay. Um... What about class B members? So if the class B members are getting cash flow distributions, how would those be taxed? So that's so um, when you receive your your carried interest or your profits interest, the income that you receive from your your share of the interest re retains its character. So if you were to receive rental income, uh, it's going to be taxed at the ordinary income tax rates. Now, if you were to receive. OK, so that's the distribution. Yeah, it's, it's taxed at the ordinary income tax rates. And then what about uh, a class B member that receives a distribution from equity earned uh, on the sale of the property? Yeah, so that's a great question. So um, there's a big debate in you know, the community, the tax, you know, tax community, how this should be handled. But the way it is handled is that uh, the carried interest, if you, uh, after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 was enacted, uh, they changed the section of the tax code that dealt with this, that if you have a carried interest, you need to hold any any asset within your carry, basically any asset needs to be held for longer than three years, for at least, excuse me, for at least three years or longer in order for you to get the long-term capital gains rates on that. Otherwise, if it's held for less than three years and you have a carried interest, um, then it's gonna be taxed at short-term capital gains rates, which is, um, it's gonna be taxed as a short-term capital gain, which is taxed at the ordinary income tax rates. Okay, so short-term capital gains less than three years for the class B members, their, their sweat equity portion, their, their carried interest is, is going to apply for any asset that's held less than three years. Correct. And the long-term capital gains rates is going to be applied if you're holding it for longer than three years. Correct. Okay. Um, so from a tax perspective, uh, if the manager is earning fees that are taxed at ordinary income rates, and then there's a chance that at some point within the life of the syndicate that they're going to earn some uh, equity that's going to be taxed at the long-term capital gains rates, uh, does it matter that the manager, you know, from, from a structural standpoint, can the manager get taxed at two different uh, in tax rates for its earnings? So it's a, uh, yeah, if the manager is receiving like ordinary income from it in the form of fees, then yes, it's very possible for them to be taxed at the ordinary income tax rates on their fees and taxed 
at the law at, at capital gains rates on any capital gain that they have from the property. So, it's, so is it okay or is there any reason that the manager itself shouldn't just be the class B member versus, you know, maybe having the, the members of the manager be the class B member and members instead? Yeah, so that, yeah, that, this is another great question and like not to get too far into like, because I could dive down a whole entire rabbit hole here, but um, to keep it short, uh, when you structure, so when you're receiving, so what some managers like to do is they, they might be considered what's called a real estate professional for tax purposes. And uh, if you're a real estate professional for tax purposes, the losses you receive from, uh, the losses you have from your rental activities um, can offset your ordinary income. Generally speaking, uh, losses from rental activities are considered passive and can only offset other passive income. So I personally want to sign on the loan. And the reason for this, if so, so if you're getting qualified non-recourse debt, um, with the qualified non-recourse debt, basically it's it increases your basis in the part in the partnership <clears throat> because you're signing on the loan. And when you increase your basis in the partnership, it allows you to take the losses. Because what, what ends up happening is the class B members don't really put in much capital, or if they do, it's very little. And that prevents them from using the losses. So let's just go back. If we go back to our 80-20 example, right? 80% of that's, and say there's an investment loss. So it's a $100,000 loss the first year of the partnership's in operation or the deal's going on. 80% um, of the losses are allocated to the partnership, uh, to the class A members, 20% to the class B members. The class B members don't have any basis in the partnership or have a very little basis because they didn't contribute any capital. So what's gonna happen is that's gonna create, uh, basically it's gonna bring their capital account below zero and they're gonna be unable to take the losses against their active income. All right, so I'm sure we're gonna get some follow-up questions on that one, but uh, that's, those are some pretty advanced strategies. I knew I was gonna learn things on this call, so I'm super glad that, uh, that we're having it, but I am not gonna to try to give people that kind of advice. I'm gonna send them to you. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, so let's talk about how these, all of these different um, income sources are reported. Uh, you know, when does uh, somebody within a syndicate get a 1099 versus a K-1? Um, so let's start with what, how are you going to report taxes? Well, first of all, what is the difference between a 1099 and K-1? Let's start with that. Okay. Yeah. So a K-1 is the district is, uh, basically so partnerships and S corporations, but in our case, it's focused on partnerships here. Don't pay taxes on their income, right? So they, they, the partnership files a partnership tax return form 1065 and then form 1065 uh, reports, you know, hands out K-1s to each partner uh, that reports the partner share of the income loss deductions credits of that partnership. And then the individual partner pays tax, that will file that K-1 with their individual tax return, 1040, and pay tax based on their individual circumstances. So, you know, gen and, and a 1099, first when it comes to a 1099, 1099 is, um, in this case, 1099 MISC, uh, it just reports uh, basically income, basically reports business income that's paid to somebody. Um, so for example, with 1099, if, um, if I were to go hire an independent, co a, a contractor to go do work on my property, and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give them a 1099. That's okay. how they're gonna get a 1099 filed for that income I paid them. 
All right, so let's see where these different tax reports fit into the syndication structure. What, what would you give a manager LLC? Would that manager LLC receive a 1099 from the investor level LLC or a K-1? If all so, they're reporting are fees. So the manager LLC, they, the manager LLC in this case doesn't own any, doesn't own anything, right? It's just the, yeah, manager. Yeah, just the manager. So yeah, so the fees, it'd be a 1099 from the, the investor LLC to the, to the manager LLC. And then the manager LLC, assuming it's a partnership, um, it would then re give K-1s out to each of their individual partners. Okay. Um, so what if the manager LLC also owned the class B interests? Would it receive a K-1 and a 1099? So in that case, it should receive just a K-1. And the K-1 would, uh, would it, is there a way on the K-1 to characterize which income was paid for fees versus which income was paid for uh, share profits? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so generally on box one of the K-1 is going to have uh, your ordinary income, basically just your regular income. And then in box two, you're going to have your rental income or loss. So your share of the profits in an investment partnership, you know, real estate investment partnership are typically going to be rental income or loss. And that's going to be reported in box two. And then on, uh, and then you also your, your share of any gains will be reported in a separate box. I don't recall the number of that box off the top of my head, but it is on the K-1. Okay. Um, and so what about the class A members? What tax report do they get? Yeah, they're almost always going to get a K-1. Um, and it's going to report their rental income or loss, and it's going to report, um, it's also going to report their gains when that happens, okay. when the property's sold. Um, all right. So we have our clients typically pay $1,000 for their class B interest. Doesn't matter if it's the, the class B member is a manager LLC or if it's the members of the manager, we want the class B members to pay something for their, their uh, class B interest to establish an initial cost basis. Is that, uh, you know, is that required? So uh, technically it's not required. Um, the IRS assumes that uh, when you get the carry interest or the profits interest is like another term for it in the tax code, um, they, they assume that you didn't contribute anything to it. Um, however, however, uh, there's a few reasons why many people recommend that you do put a cap, you do put something in, even if it is as low as a dollar or a thousand dollars. And, um, that's simply because now it, it officially establishes that the, that the class B members have an interest in the partnership. Um, there's some cases where the IRS could argue or perceive that there, because there was no capital account, because if you didn't put any money in it, you don't have a capital account, that there is no partnership or that you don't have an interest, or there could be arguments over the timing of when that interest was received. Um, so it's, it's very common to see people putting in uh, some form of capital just to clearly establish without, you know, without any discrepancy that there is a partnership there where they do have their interest in the partnership. And I thought I heard you say that they could put in as little as $1. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just establishing that like, Hey, look, we there it's, it's just like a, it's a, it's a formality pretty much. And that's about it. Okay. All right. Well, great. So, so I, what I'm getting out of this is it's best if you guys pay something for your class B interest. So we'll continue to advise that. Um, 
All right, so let's talk about, uh, so the structure we've been talking about so far is the syndicate structure. And uh, now I want to talk a little bit about uh, a joint venture or a member managed LLC and what would be maybe some difference uh, for, for, from a security standpoint, if somebody came to us and said, we have three other investors and uh, you know, we're all gonna put up money to be in this deal or, or I'm gonna keep 25% of the interest and the other three are gonna put up money. Um, from a security standpoint, in order for our clients to call that a joint venture, all of the members have to be actively involved in generating their own profits. So if, if all of the members of an LLC are actively involved, there are no passive members, how does that change the tax uh, ramifications? It really only changes it for someone who would otherwise, because everybody in this partnership would be a general partner by default. Yep. Um, there is no carried interest anymore. It's just a normal partnership interest. So you're still going to be taxed at ordinary income rates on your rental income that, that would be received. Um, and now the long-term capital gains rates uh, on the sale of assets is, is achievable on just holding the asset for a year and a day. Um, you no longer have to achieve, there's no worry about holding it for three years because that's only applied to carried interest um, and not to, uh, or like just your traditional partnerships or your ordinary partnerships. And um, I will at some point share with you anecdotally as a nightmare story about being in a development project, <laughs> the tax issues that arose from that. Um, but uh, but that's, that's a different rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, I, just one more thing to add to that. So um, that's if you're holding a property for buy and hold. Um, now, if you are flipping a property or perhaps developing a property, that's when you can get into the situation that I described before where it's considered inventory and not considered a capital asset. And then your profits from that are considered, you know, business income uh, and your tax, the ordinary income tax rates in addition to the self-employment tax rates. Yes, I, I'm, I've experienced that. <laughs> <laughs> not happily, I'll have to say. Um, okay, so um, I think we've Oh, we talked about depreciation a little bit, but this question comes up all the time amongst my clients is, can the depreciation be allocated to the members disproportionately to their ownership interests? So the like short wanted to give every, all of the depreciation to all of class A or maybe even just a subclass of class A, could they do that? Sure answer is it is it is possible, but it's extremely complicated to do. Um, and if it could cause problems down the line when the property is liquidated, um, where the people who were allocated or disproportionately allocated the losses could have to pay back part of their capital account if it goes negative to the partnership, depending on how it's structured. I mean, we could probably do a whole webinar on what's called special allocations, but long story short, it is possible. It's very complicated. If you're gonna do something like that, consult your tax advisor just prior to doing it because you don't want to put yourself in, you know, you don't wanna put yourself in a bad position where you have to pay back a certain amount of income out of your pocket or uh, you just have really adverse con tax consequences down the line. Okay, yeah, nobody wants to pay money back. Uh, so let's try to avoid that at all costs. Um, 
So um, I think we've talked a little bit about this next question was, is there ever a time that uh, anyone should use a corporation to own real estate? And that's where you were talking about the S corp. Well, okay, actually not. Uh, is there a time that anybody should use a corporation to actually take title to the real estate versus an LLC or a, a limited partnership? Uh, generally, no. However, if you do, if you are full into that flipping and development uh, category, um, a common strategy is to hold title to the property in an S corporation. Um, and that's because, again, you know, that income can be classified as ordinary income and subject to self-employment tax. And by taking that title to the property in the S corporation, you're able to pay yourself a wage out of the S corporation and help mitigate your exposure to that self at 15.3% self-employment tax. So it's very common to see people who fix and flip and develop properties hold uh, their interest either directly or indirectly in an S corporation. Okay, but they don't use the S corporation to directly own the real estate or do they? So yeah, they would, they would either own the, the real estate directly in the name of the S corporation or they'd have a, a single member LLC that's owned solely by the S corporation that would hold title of the property. Um, isn't there some rule that an S corp can't have any non-US members? Yes, that's correct. Okay. okay, so just be aware of that if any of the listeners are thinking about um, having some uh, foreign investors. What about using an S Corp uh, to sell interests uh, to investors? Would, is there ever a time that anybody would want to do that? Uh, I, it, is, it is possible people do that. Um, I'm not sure that it'd be the best structure for it because with an S Corporation, there is no, every, every so in an S Corporation, if you buy it, there is no ability to do special allocations. Everybody, if you have an interest in S, if you have a 5% interest in, a, in a, an S corporation, you get 5% of the income and loss. There's no ability to change that. It's just very straightforward. Whatever your ownership interest is in the S corporation is what your allocation is. And there is no way around that. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, all right. So before we go to Q and A, uh, why don't you give us contact information about how people can reach you? Absolutely. So um, you can reach me directly at thomas.castelli at uh, wholecpallc.com or you can visit uh, therealestatecpa.com um, and you can, you can fill out a form uh, to, to have a free consultation with us or check out the Real Estate CPA podcast. Uh, that's how you can get in contact with, with me. So I think I need to subscribe to your podcast. Uh, I've learned a lot today. I hope everybody on the call has learned a lot today. Um, I will give out our contact information in case anyone has to drop off the call. Uh, you know, you guys are all in our database or you wouldn't have heard about our call. Uh, the, um, our syndication attorney's website has a ton of information about deal structuring and uh, you can get a copy of my book there. In case and some of you don't know, I did write a book called How to Legally Raise Private Money. It's a number one Amazon bestseller and you can get a free digital copy at our website or you can buy it on Amazon if you want a soft copy or Kindle. And we do have an audible version that we're working on. So hopefully we'll have that done in a little while. Um, we also have a sister website called investormarketingmaterials.com. And uh, there you can uh, see some of the types of investor marketing materials that we can help you create. Uh, I told people for years that they needed to have professional marketing materials written by professional editors and uh, professional gra draft, graphic designers. 
couldn't find anybody to do it. So we finally created our, our own uh, company that does that. So we have professional editors and graphic designers that can help you design professional marketing materials, including your websites, uh, investment summaries, company brochures, educational pro programs, pitch decks, uh, one pagers. Uh, you know, there's a, a multitude of things there. Uh, if you want help with branding your company, uh, then you know, you're just starting out in the syndication world and you want to create a brand for yourself, we can help you create that brand and then have it be consistent across your marketing materials. So do check that out, investormarketingmaterials.com. At either of those websites, you can schedule an appointment. We're happy to have a 30-minute conversation with you if you want to talk about uh, you know, how to get from where you are right now to where you want to be or if you have a deal. And even if you don't have a deal, we do have a pre-syndication retainer where we can give you one-on-one -on -one legal advice and establish a relationship uh, that would kind of get you from where you are today to where you want to go. Uh, you can also call us if you want to at 844-796-3428. That's 844-SYNDICATE, S-Y-N-D-I-C, and the number eight. Uh, so we are now going to go to some Q&A. We've got some questions in the queue. Some people have given us different, uh, let's see. I am not, okay, so I'm not the best uh, person at doing this. This is our first time with Zoom. So if anybody knows and can tell me how to get to the people that have raised their hands, I would love that. Um, but I can see that we do have some people that have typed in some questions. Uh, so um, let's see, Rob says, is there any, hi Rob, uh, is there any downside to using cost segregation for example, recapture later if we exit a deal sooner than anticipated. Uh, so I, yeah, so it, I don't think there's any there's any downside to you know, so depreciation recapture is charged regardless of when you exit the property. So there's no downside necessarily when you exit. Um, yeah, I don't see any real downside of the timing of the exit on depreciation recapture. Okay. So then would you, I mean, is cost segregation a good thing? Is it, is it worth it? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I would say that our, our general advice is if you're syndicating a property, you're going to want to cost segregate the property um, almost, almost every time. Um, that's our general advice. Uh, you can speak to your specific tax advisors on it, but we generally recommend that our clients do a cost segregation study on every property they syndicate. Great. Okay. Um, Next question is from Laura Lynn. Uh, what if the investor invested through an IRA? How are the gains taxed? Still at the 37% rates? Yeah, so um, I, the IRA, uh, this is always a great question. So um, when, you, when you invest through a self-directed IRA, you, um, you are subject to a tax called the unrelated business income tax on income that's uh, on the income that's cons that's called on the type of income that's called UDFI, unrelated debt financed income. Unrelated debt financed income, there's a complicated calculation to it, but long story short, it's the percentage of the income that is, uh, that's uh, um, derived from debt financing. So for example, if you had $10,000 of rental income, let's just say, and uh, the property had a debt financing of 75%, then 75% of that income, uh, so 7,500, would be considered UDFI. Now, uh, generally speaking, you're not, in most investment partnerships, at least the ones I've came across, you're not gonna have rental income in the first number of years. 
Uh, that's because there's usually a cost irrigation study that's that's uh, performed or there's a value add component uh, that is causing there to be a loss and you're not paying any tax because there's no income. Most of the time you're going to see the UBIT tax or the UDFI uh, generated by UDFI on the sale of the asset. Uh, now that said, uh, usually it's not material like you'll still have a pretty good return on your investment despite this tax um comparative compared to the other assets you could invest in through self-directed ira okay that's great thank you so much um okay so jackson asks are refinancing proceeds taxed as ordinary income or capital gains uh refinance proceeds are not taxable generally speaking unless you take it in excess unless the cash you take out of the partnership if you have a partnership is in excess of the basis your basis in the partnership that's interesting good to know and we usually recommend that uh any proceeds that are received from a refinance used to are used to repay the capital contributions of the class a members um any comments on that structure or that yeah, so I, I'm pretty sure um, I'm pretty sure the reason why most people want to do that is so they, that the class A, well, excuse me, the class B members can receive basically pay off, reduce the interest of the class A members, and then they could then the class B members could continue to keep the property. So that's what or or, or get a higher percentage of the remaining proceeds uh, from cash. Right. Um, yeah, the other reason that we recommend it is because you are leveraging the property at a higher amount with a refinance and uh, you want to pay down the, your initial obligation of what you have to pay back your investors so that you don't come up short when you sell. Uh, if the property hasn't appreciated enough to, to pay back all those original capital contributions. If you have any kind of a preferred return and you do return some of the capital from a refi to your investors, then from that point forward, you should only be paying any preferred returns on the unreturned capital contributions. So what that means is that if you were paying 8%, somebody invested $100,000 and that you were paying them an 8% preferred return, they were getting $8,000 a year, then you give them 50% of their money back from that point forward, you only owe them an 8% preferred return on $50,000. And if there's a split in later on in the waterfall that where class B gets a cut, then now you've reduced your burden to class A, so there's a bigger, bigger portion of that split available to class B. So that's another reason that we like to have you do that. Um, okay, great. Thanks, Jackson. That was a good call. Good question. Um, Rob asks, can a sponsor 1031 carried interest profit from class B shares? Uh, no, absolutely. No, 1031, you cannot own, you can't, you can't 1031 exchange uh, real property interests for personal property interests. So they're uh, two completely different things. If you're trying to 1031 exchange, you can you have to have direct ownership in real estate if you're 1031ing from uh, another real estate asset. So you can't use it uh, in any way within your syndication structure. It has to be outside of your syndication structure. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah. So if you were so yeah, you can't send it. You can't 1031 partnership interest. So you but you, what you could do is if the general partner 
um, or the investment partnership as a whole said, you know, we're going to go ahead and do a 1031 exchange. You could 1031 exchange. So basically the investment partnership, let's say the part, let's say the investment partnership was called ABC LLC. ABC LLC would have to sell the property and then take and then buy the new property. So it would have to be the same partnership. It's possible. It just has to be the same partnership. Right, right. So, um, right. And within that LLC that's 1031 exchanging its property, it doesn't matter. You, you can have whatever structure you want within the LLC that owned the previous property um, as long as the, I think there's, there needs to be some percentage of common members moving forward into the new L and to the new purchase. Uh, is that, are you aware of that requirement? Yeah, yeah there's a, there's a, a part, there's a technical rule. There's a technical termination of a partnership. If, if more than 50% of the partnership's interest changes hands in the, in any one year, uh, the partnership will terminate and the, the partnership will cease to exist. So you just have to be careful with how many people you pretty much buy out. Uh, Cause sometimes people want out uh, when they do attend their, when this type of thing occurs. So you just have to be careful there. Uh -huh. Okay. And we have had some clients that have actually done a 1031 exchange. Uh, the, so they went to their investors and said, hey, we have an opportunity. We have something else we wanna buy and we have a buyer for the property that we wanna sell. So do you guys want to just roll forward into the next uh, purchase? And the majority of the investors did, but a few of them wanted to be bought out. So we carried the original investors over into the new property and then uh, re-syndicated the new property because some additional funds were needed. And then with the additional funds paid out those investors that wanted to get out, but it wasn't more than 50%, so it was fine. Um, Okay, great. Thanks, Rob, for that question. And uh, thank you, Thomas. Uh, so Nathan asks, uh, do you still get taxed if all your investment is from an IRA or self-directed IRA? I think we answered that and the, and the answer is yes. The, with the, the UBIT, right? I think, yeah. The, yeah, I think maybe he's asking, are you still taxed if your investment is an IRA or a self-directed IRA? But in this case, it's the same thing. You're a self-directed IRA is just an IRA. That's just, you're able to, invest. the custodian of that IRA allows you to invest in whatever, whatever assets you want, pretty much. Um, so Evan asks, can you run through an example of class B recognizing both ordinary interest income, I'm sorry, ordinary income and carried interest income? Yeah. So an example of that would be the class B members receive a distribution of, uh, receive an allocation rather of rental income. Um, and then they sell, uh, they sell the prop, they sell the property before the three year period. Um, and they then recognize, you know, interest, they recognize the short-term capital gain basically. So what is the difference between short-term capital gain and, and long-term capital gain as far as, is it a different percentage tax or? Yeah, short-term capital gain tax, short-term capital gains are taxed at the ordinary income tax rates. All right. Um, whereas the long-term capital gains is taxed at zero, 15 or 20% depending on uh, what, uh, you know, what, how much income you are. How, when would be an example of when it could be taxed at zero? Um, I could just put, I could let you know right now. Um, it's, it's a certain threshold of income. It's, uh, if you make, 
I hardly ever see it, so I always forget the number. But it's if you make under thirty nine thousand dollars if you're single, or if you're if you make under seventy eight thousand dollars if you're married. Okay. Uh, and then what is the cutoff for the fifteen or the twenty? Uh, so so fifteen is uh, fifteen if you're single. It's a four hundred thirty four thousand five fifty if you're married. It's four forty eight uh, four thousand four excuse me four thousand eighty eight thousand. $850 and that will change every year. It will increase 488,000 basically mm -hmm. or 488,000. Okay, great. Um, okay, thank you. Uh, Ralph asks, please discuss phantom income. Phantom income. Hmm. So that's when the partnership receives income but doesn't make a distribution and the income is then allocated to the investors on their k1 so they still owe the tax on it that, that's my understanding yeah that's that's pretty much what it is because what ha what happens is when you're when you have a partnership or an s corporation for the same case happens if you you're your tax on the income your portion of the income that the partnership or the s corporation would produce not necessarily what's distributed to you so if the partnership doesn't make any if the partnership earns a million dollars and keeps the million dollars in the partnership and doesn't make a distribution you're still taxed on your share of that $1 million, despite the fact you didn't receive any cash that year. Or if the syndicator stole all the money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that too. <laughs> that could <Yeah>. be bad. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, not, uh, let's hope that doesn't happen to anyone we know. Um, okay. Uh, Stan asks, what if a sponsor slash manager receives an equity interest in lieu of fees? But if they receive no fees, then is the equity interest going to be taxed at ordinary income rates? It would just be it would just be part of the carried interest. Part of the carried interest. So would the would there ever be a time that the IRS could argue that hey, you need to be pay some ordinary income tax on you know some portion of these earnings because they were earned for your active role in management? Well, that's that's exactly what the carried interest is. Okay, so so the carried interest, and again, that's just going to matter on whether uh, whether you keep it for three years or uh, short term or long term. But right, uh, right. All right, and yeah. it doesn't matter because you're always paying ordinary income uh, tax on all earnings from cash flow. Correct. So okay, um, Stan, if that didn't answer your question, please type in uh, a clarification. Um, Jesse asks, what if someone withdraws their 401k with the COVID-19 exemptions, how will they be taxed when invested in a syndicate? Yeah, so it's kind of two separate, two separate equations. So uh, long story short, if you did the COVID-19 exemption, you basically could pay, you could basically pay back, you know, for, for the 401k, you could pay back the amount you took off the 401k. Uh, if you don't pay it back, then it's going to then that distribution you took from the 401k is going to be subject to a 10% penalty uh, plus your ordinary income tax rates. It's basically considered it's considered ordinary ordinary income if you don't pay it out. Now the money you took and invested in the syndicate that's going to be taxed depending on the distributions from the syndicate. So that could be taxed as ordinary income if it's rental income or you know capital gains if it's uh, you know capital gains income. Okay. Two, it's like just two set two, two, you know, two separate uh, things. Okay. Um, 
Laurelyn, follow up on IRA question. Uh, what rate are the UBIT gains taxed in the IRA? Uh, they're, they're taxed at the trust tax rates, which um, I don't know the full trust tax rates off the top of my head, but it goes from zero to four to 37% on ordinary income. Um, and 37% tax bracket starts at $12,500 of income. So it's You're gonna pay pretty quick. Tax rate. Yeah. And there is also capital gains rates too. And I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, it's also zero, 15 and 20. I just don't remember the so rates. It, the, the, it, it all goes back to how did you uh, earn the income? Was, was yeah. it from cash flow or was it from uh, equity? Yep. Okay. Um, okay, so we have another uh, attendee that says, please discuss, discuss the scenario when a class B member is comprised of several individuals contributing split equity, but solely controlled by one individual acting as a trustee for the class B member. But that individual acting as a trustee allocates those class B interests at the start of the deal. Can he or she reserve the right to reallocate those individual class B interests at their discretion down the road? Okay. Okay, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head on that. I'd have to like kind of do a little research and poking around to get an answer to that. Yeah, I don't think that's a tax question. I think that's more of a structuring question. Uh, does your operating agreement allow you to do that or, or your trust agreement allow you to do that? And then I think whatever distributions those uh, class B interest holders receive, regardless of whether it's before or after you change it, uh, they're gonna get taxed based on the, whatever distributions they actually receive. It, you know, it's not like the IRS is gonna read your trust agreement or your operating agreement. They don't do that. They just take what's face value, what's stated on the, the K-1 and uh, determine whether it's ordinary income or, or uh, long-term or short-term capital gain. So I think, I think that answers that question. Um, okay, uh, Ralph says, uh, we've already talked about phantom income. So that was fun. Um, so Rob asks, is it common for sponsor GPs to put catch up into their PPMs and deal structures? I will answer that and I will say that I always advise that. Um, if you wanna know more about that, there's an article on our website called uh, Class B Catch-Ups Explained. So if you go into the syndicationattorneys.com library and then look at, for the articles, there's one called Class B Catch-Ups Explained and uh, it goes through a scenario where you do take it or you don't take it and you'll see that the returns that you end up getting are significantly different if you do than if you don't and the um, i've had some different clients run through that scenario both ways and they've said that the uh, change in irr or average annual return to the class a members is is nominal but the amount of money that the class b members can earn is uh, significantly more if you do the class B catch-up. Uh, I've had too many clients that uh, we used to structure them without that. We used to do just a you know, preferred return to class A and then a split. And uh, I had uh, several clients that said, we will never do that again because the investors made all the money, we made nothing. And uh, they just said, unless we have a catch-up, we're just not gonna do deals anymore. So they just only will do it that way. Uh, any comments on that, uh, Thomas? No, I don't have any. I don't have any comments on that. Okay. Um, so 
Barry asks, uh, is depreciation and recapture tax typically shown in the PPM pro forma? That's a good question. I'm honestly, no, it's not, not as far as I'm aware. Okay. And then it, why not? I guess, do you just not know enough about it to know or? I mean, because the depreciation recapture, that's, uh, uh, yeah, because you don't know how long you're necessarily going to hold the property for, and that's going to determine how much the depreciation recapture is. So as far as I'm aware, it's, it's not pro, it's not in the pro forma. Mm -hmm. I guess there's some reason you couldn't put it in there if you could uh, predict it with any kind of accuracy. Um, and, uh, yeah. The other part, yeah, and then, well, the, the problem is, too, you don't know necessarily the exact value of the improvements that are going to go into the property, because the, the improvements, like, if you're going to do a value-add, that's going to be depreciated, um, and, you know, you, you might go in, I guess you could pro forma it, yeah, I guess to your point, yeah, you could pro forma it, uh, but I, I generally don't see that done. Right, uh, if, yeah, and we usually tell our clients you should do at least a five-year pro forma, and then we like to see that they um, kind of imagine a scenario, a, a sales scenario. And you, you, you have to make a bunch of assumptions about what's the cap rate going to be at that time. And, you know, what's the sale, what's the NOI going to be, what's the sales price going to be, all of that stuff. And by then you would have an idea of what you'd spent in the early years on your capital improvements. So sure, I think you could predict that. Uh, just need to make sure that whenever you're doing those kinds of uh, just prediction, predictive uh, spreadsheets in your property information that you list all of the assumptions that you made and then have a disclaimer that says that, it, you know, it's possible that the assumptions we've made are wrong, which would change this entire scenario. So uh, the only real guarantee in real estate syndication is whatever you predict isn't going to happen. Uh, it's going to happen differently. And so you need to make your investors aware that you're, you're just making some best guesses right now, but uh, they shouldn't be 100% reliant on that because things change. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.